everyone. My name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And it's my birthday. And it is your birthday. <laughs> podcast where we talk about fan fiction and this is also a podcast in which both of my co-hosts have birthdays in january yeah we are two different signs though (laughs) (laughs) what'd you say nick i just said that's an important and defining feature of the show everyone always thinks oh two january (laughs) birthdays when they think fit click well they do Mm -hmm. if they've been listening for long enough to know that both episodes in january are going to be birthday episodes that's true um since we've already done brenna's birthday episode because it's already been brenna's birthday this month we are moving on to nick's birthday how excited it's aquarius season baby yeah tell all those caps to eat dirt (laughs) that's okay bye you can do this without me (laughs) From what I know about the astrological signs, you're just too uptight and perfectionistic for me. I'm a free spirit. I gotta ride the waves, baby. Yeah, and if anyone had met the two of us, they would definitely say, that's so true. Exactly. The confusing thing about Nick is that they were born towards the end of January, but they are also an October Libra. And I know you're wondering Mm -hmm. how those two things are possible, but you're just gonna have to trust me on this one. It is the facts. A very long time ago, someone asked me, like, wait, your birthday's in January. I thought you were a Libra. And I did tell them I'm the only Libra to have ever been born in January, which is very exciting. Yeah. It's a medical miracle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not an astrological one, though. (laughs) No. The doctor was like, oh, my God, this kid is a Libra for sure. (laughs) A signed Libra at birth. (laughs) Does it say that, like, on your birth certificate? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. Nice. Thank you. Nick, as our resident Libra and our current birthday host, why don't you tell us about your theme for this episode? Yes, everyone. Today, we are talking about open slash ambiguous endings. This was not a hard decision at all. I will talk more about it soon, but know that this is the theme and I feel strongly about it. Reed, what is your open ambiguous ending to fic for this episode? My fic is The Place Where Cities and Starscapes Collide by Jubilus, and it is for the fandom Jujutsu Kaisen. We're in Reed's weeb corner. Gojo! Yes, he is technically in this fic, um, but- Goku! No, well- no, no. <laughs> Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that's okay. I know that Brenna's not doing that in earnest, so it doesn't hurt the way that Nick's hurt last episode. <laughs> Um, this fic, yeah, technically Gojo's there. This fic is uh, Nobura-centric. There are a lot of tags that are mostly just Nobura and the various people in the anime, and there are some background ships happening, but it is pretty much just a character study on her. Brenna, what is your pick? My pick for this episode is Just What I Needed 2 by Be The Change. Um, If you are familiar with that username, it is because we have talked about a Be The Change fic here before. And you might also sort of anticipate that this is going to be for the fandom BuzzFeed Unsolved slash also Watcher Entertainment. Um, It centers Ryan and Shane as expected. And I really, really love this fic. Nick, what are you bringing? My fic for this episode is The Blues Run the Game by AO3 user Coyote Suspect. It is a fic for the 2019 movie Hustlers, and the main pairing is Destiny slash Ramona. Nick, when you first pitched this theme, I was very excited because I really enjoy an open ambiguous ending. Um, 
every year for Yuletide or like various fake exchanges when I make my little list of like my likes, my preferences and whatever, I always say that I enjoy a happy ending, but I also equally enjoy something that is more open and doesn't have um, everything wrapped up neatly. And I have read many fics that I think qualify as open ambiguous ending that I have really, really enjoyed. And then I went into the tag to look for an open ambiguous ending. And why was it so hard? Um, I was having kind of a similar experience to when we attempted to do Uli July last oh, year, God. I think. <laughs> yes. um, or two years ago, whatever that was, when our original concept was Unreliable Narrator. And all three of us went, why is it so hard to find Unreliable Narrator fic? And I will say, I am sure there are many, many, many more open ambiguous ending fics than there are Unreliable Narrator. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a thing where if you see it as a tag, it probably informs your opinion about the fic before you have even read it. And so I feel like there could be many instances in which a fic is definitely open ambiguous ending, but the author just doesn't tag it as such because they don't want to sort of spoil it or put a sort of preconceived idea on it. And also, I think maybe it is somewhat unpopular in the overall landscape of fan fiction because people do really want their happy endings and they do want everything tied up in a neat little bow. And I think that's cowardly. Sorry, I was going to say something nicer, but I couldn't. I just decided to do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that is <laughs> We're like four years in. I think we can say whatever the fuck we, we want now. We have our listeners in at least an episode. <laughs> We hold back on our hot takes often, and I think in 2024, we need to be more liberal with them. I think last year we started um, giving our hot takes, and I enjoy, yes, when we just sort of speak our truths from our hearts. And my truth is that I think that fix can be very good, even if they are not a happy ending. And like not having a distinctly happy ending doesn't mean that it's just miserable either. Um, I'm sure we will all get into this when we talk about our thoughts with open ambiguous ending, but I think there might be this idea that if everything is not wrapped up neatly, that it feels unsatisfying. And as someone who frequently does want answers to questions that I get in fix, that's not true. There are plenty of things that can be left unanswered or that can be left up to interpretation that I find perfectly satisfying. I think it's a matter of what the author is choosing to leave open and ambiguous and like how they are doing so. Like, I don't know if you set up the stakes for some big plot and then you just sort of like never resolve the plot like that I might find a little bit unsatisfying if you're like oh I don't know we're trying to solve a mystery and then just like well we never solved it oh well or something like that might feel not that satisfying as far as like an open end goes I think if the story is narratively fulfilling and satisfying but it still leaves you with questions that's not a bad thing and in fact it's a thing that I quite enjoy so I did struggle somewhat finding a fic because I feel like maybe the overall fic landscape is not primed for it but when an open and ambiguous ending is done really well, I think it absolutely slaps. Uh, so I think this is a baller theme. I took a different tack from both of you when I was searching. Rather than going into the open ambiguous ending tag, I just excluded happy ending and then clicked on fix and looked at the last four to six lines to see if I thought that it was a happy ending in disguise. Occasionally it was. <laughs> but sometimes I was like, "Ooh, this is pretty ambiguous, I think. And I had to go back and read the fic to make sure. I have written quite a few ambiguous open-ending stories. Uh, whether I tagged them or not as such appeared to be about 50-50 when I looked at my AO3. Why? Hard to say. <laughs> Sometimes I forgot. In at least one case, I very intentionally left it off uh, because hmm, 
I wasn't actively trying to bait and switch my readers, but most people by the time they got to the end were surprised that the main characters had not gotten back together after having broken up, like well before the start of the story. Uh, And it seemed from the comments, like not knowing that and getting to the end, like I had done enough work for it to make sense as an ending and to feel somewhat narratively satisfying, but it was still a gut punch. And that was what I wanted. So no heads up. I didn't tag it happy ending. Okay. I told people you can go look. I didn't promise you anything. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think one reason I wanted to pick this theme. So many years ago, OG ficlets or people who have just listened to our whole catalog would know that the first year we did birthdays, I chose major character death as my theme. And we're doing kind of a similar format this year. As we did that year, where we each bring fix based on uh, a theme, a trope, an idea, a style, anything like that. And I have thoughts about how open-ending fic is kind of similar to major character death fic in some ways. I think there are these kind of like boogeymen in the fanfiction and fanish worlds of things that you should or should not do with fic. And if you do, you have to tag them out the wazoo, and it's like almost a a toxic waste warning sign, like radiation, like back off, this is going to be painful. And I don't think it always has to be. And one thing I was thinking about with this is that I, I recently said this in an email exchange with Ficklet Stifled Laughter, where for a lot of people, the happy ending is what they want out of fic. They want that escapism, they want the confirmation that everything will be fine, the the container of that, the emotional container, the emotional safety of knowing things will work out. And for me, I have found over the years, ever since I was quite young, that a happy ending that, to me, as someone with a really high bar for this, frankly, <laughs> didn't feel narratively justified or earned, or didn't feel like it necessarily aligned with my understanding of the characters' arcs and their stories— That felt worse, actually, than an open ending when I was reading. So I found myself really gravitating towards stories that are, in the literary sense, much more kind of character-driven, that don't have a ton of plot ends to tie up, and that give you that open space to wonder what comes next, where you get thematic resolution, but not necessarily romantic or specific plot resolution. I think all of our fix tried to accomplish this differently, and I have thoughts about how they did that differently within the containers of their fandoms. But one reason I wanted to bring it is because there's so much variety, and it's just a kind of story that I have always felt really drawn to, and I appreciate that this show lets me get on my little soapbox and talk about things that I think people avoid and shouldn't, because there is an open, ambiguous ending fic for everyone, in my opinion, and maybe we can convince you of that this episode. I think out of the three of us, I am probably the one who is least attracted to open, ambiguous ending stories, particularly in a fan fiction landscape. Um, But also kind of overall, I don't dislike them by any means. It's just, as we've talked about before, I am someone who quite likes plot and I do find it unsatisfying to like not have an ending to the plot. (laughs) Um, However, I think... It is. It can still be very satisfying to leave an openness within the characters, within the world, within the relationships. Like, not everything has to be tied up with a little bow to, like, have a satisfying ending. I just sometimes worry that, like, people are like, oh, well, it was supposed to have an open ending. And I'm like, yeah, but you just, like, cut it off before your story actually ended. <laughs> um, like, you still have to have an ending. That ending is just open like (laughs) it's not that you don't have an ending (laughs) and I think that's where sometimes I run into trouble with the conception of like what an open ending is um it doesn't mean that you don't you just don't have one (laughs) um 
I also like read so much like mystery stuff these days in particular and like consume a lot of like mystery television and things and like most of these do not have like happy endings right like most of the time someone was killed and they're like figuring it out and most of the time our detective also like (laughs) is going through shit because that's sort of what like murder detectives seem to do in fiction um but like if if they just halfway through we're like i don't know who killed her i guess we're just done isn't there a donna tart novel where she never reveals who the killer was like the detective I don't know. doesn't Possibly. solve it. I don't. I haven't read any Donna Tart. Neither have I. I've only read the Secret History. Um, Open ambiguous reference. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> but also, like, I mean, obviously, if you're stretching the boundaries of it with, like, within sort of literary fiction or something, you can also like go in different directions and still have a very engaging story. Um, I was just thinking about, you know, in sort of a classic, more classic cut and dry mystery, if partway through the detective just was like, mm, done with that. <laughs> well, that could be an interesting story, though. You'd have to do but it's it like on not purpose. what I would have been wanting. Yeah. You know? But I, I'd yeah. be delighted if the detective just like quits partway through and is like, screw this, I'm going to open sandwich <laughs> shop. And then the end, like the back half of the story is them dueling with the rival sandwich shop across the road. I would read that. And then they die at the end because the killer came back for them. Well, oh my god. I don't know that I would read that. You might have lost Um, me there. (laughs) It would have to get like some pretty high praise, I think, for me to pick it up. Um, I don't know. I think like this sort of goes back to our discussion, our ever ongoing discussion of like what can fic do and like what is fic expected to do versus like published media. And I think especially with published media in a sort of lit fic sense, we don't really expect like a happy tied up ending. Um, And I think the sort of open ambiguous ending tag on AO3 often signals to me that someone's going for sort of a more literary fiction experience, which I think can definitely hit. And I think we picked some fics this episode that like do it very well. And other times for me does not hit. Um... I'm also just not a huge lit fit girly. I've read, I've been exploring more in the last couple of years and I've read some absolute bangers, um, but I'm still more hesitant about that genre than I am others. Again, I, I love plot. So I need some sort of balance, I think, between sort of the character driven introspection and like things happening um, <laughs> and how, how our plot or like how the narrative is like pu- being pushed forward. Um yeah, all this to say, like, I definitely struggled a little bit to find something I wanted to bring. I've also just been, like, struggling in general with sort of what fandoms to bring for this show lately, I think. Um, a lot of fandoms that have a huge representation on AO3 are fandoms that we've, like, covered a lot in the past, or we don't have any intention of covering going forward, like Harry Potter. Um, there's also ones I'm just, like, not really interested in delving into in the, at this time. And there's ones I know absolutely nothing about, which, like, we do still want to do an episode about sometime, but like definitely takes a lot more energy to like sift through those and try and find something that's comprehensible to me. So yeah, I don't know. I was like looking at some of this year end stats of like what grew in popularity from 2023. And I was like, okay, yeah, a lot of the things that are growing are things that I'm just like not tapped into at all. And I feel like that has made it a little bit harder to feel like I have this wealth of like new fix at my fingertips I feel like I can always go to sort of certain people's bookmarks or like Yuletide or rec lists for like certain types of fix but especially when we're on these journeys to like find sort of trope specific ones or like concept specifics like last time this time and next time (laughs) um spoilers sort of (laughs) um 
it can definitely be a little bit more challenging when I don't just sort of have fandoms that I'm like, ooh, really excited to go dig around in. Um, so this was a turn to a favorite for me with BFU, BuzzFeed Unsolved. But yeah, I definitely have consumed, I would say, more media outside of fanfiction with open and ambiguous endings that I've really loved than within fanfiction, although I have definitely read some that absolutely slap. But I think also like, I think especially at this point in my like fic reading experience, especially when I'm just reading fic for fun and not like searching for the pod, I definitely go into fic sort of wanting the tropey happy ending fic experience um, where like I'm picking up media in TV and books that like I'm looking to sort of challenge my perceptions of that type of media more than like where I'm going for fan fiction. Not to say people aren't doing it. It's just like not necessarily what I open AO3 for. Um, so I think that's also a little bit different than like Nick's reading habits. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to talk about open endings in general and to bring my passion, my heart and soul towards what can happen when you open your mind and heart to something fresh, sexy, and unpredictable. Speaking of opening your heart, in my fic, Nobra thinks about the fact that Yuji literally opened his body and held his heart in his hand. Yuck! The fic that I brought for Nick's birthday episode is The Place Where Cities and Starscapes Collide by Jubilus. It is for the fandom Jujutsu Kaisen, which is a manga and an anime that I enjoy, question mark. If you'd like to hear more of my feelings about it, you can listen to the end of the year mini so. <laughs> this fic is tagged for JJK got me through a bad time in my life by making it worse, and I feel like that tells you a lot about the canon. This fic, as I mentioned, is Nobara-focused. Again, it is tagged for many and relationships. Um, there is also some background lesbian stuff happening with her and Maki, which we love to see. Um, so it is femslash. And as I get into just a brief explainer of some stuff that happens in Jujutsu Kaisen, just so that you guys can follow along for this conversation, um, I'm also going to give my content warnings and my spoilers all at once. Jujutsu Kaisen is a show that takes place in modern-day Japan, mostly in Tokyo. It is a world in which things that are called curses exist. They are mostly, like, monstrous creatures, but some of them are very humanoid. Um, there are people called Jujutsu Sorcerers who use cursed energy to exercise those spirits. Um, spirits are also formed from cursed energy. Most people in the world have no idea that these creatures exist. Um, and cursed energy is basically a manifestation of all of the negative emotions that people can have, grief and anger and sadness. If there is enough of it in one person or in a collection of people, it will manifest itself into a curse, which again, most people can't see. But if you have an aptitude for cursed energy, or if you are trained to be a jujitsu sorcerer, you can not only control your own cursed energy to prevent curses from happening um, and to get fun special magic powers, um, but you can see these curses and sort of access to this world. With that, a brief summary of the fic. It's sort of separated into three parts, the first half or so of the fic taking place pre the show and pre canon. Um, in the show, you get a couple references to Nobra's background. She grew up in a very tiny little village in the country and she hated it and kind of wanted to do whatever it took to get out of there, which for her meant becoming a jujitsu sorcerer. And so the first half of this fic is sort of really expanding on the little bits that we know of her backstory and fleshing out what life was like for her in that way. And then we move into her life as a first year at the Jutsu school, meeting some of the other characters that you meet in the anime. 
um, references to a couple of the things that they deal with. And then we sort of end with the Shibuya arc, which was the end of season two of the anime where so many things go so horrifically wrong. This is your warning that this fic and our discussion will spoil things up through the Shibuya arc. Um, so if you are someone who has any interest in watching the anime or catching up with the manga and you have not gotten through Shibuya arc or the second season, spoilers, a, to a ton of spoilers. This fic is not tagged for it, but it does contain major character death and the major character death is Nobara. And that is canon. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Oh, rip, girl. That is canon, but it's also, okay. The thing about my fic, and we will get there eventually, <laughs> yeah. it is tagged for open ambiguous ending, but the ending of this fic, I'm just skipping all the way because it is important, is that she dies. Um, but also, is she dead? We're not really sure. I'll get more into that later. Um, but that is important in both the canon and to this fic. My other content warning is mild body horror. Um, again, kind of going along with like the, this show is slightly wretched. Many wretched things happen to the characters. Some of those are referenced in this fic. The body horror and sort of the like violence and I don't know, slight gore aspects of the show are not in any way the focus of this fic, but they do show up occasionally. Uh, I have thoughts and feelings about this fic, but before I get into them, I will turn this over to my co-hosts who are super familiar with this anime and canon and I'm sure had no confusions or questions about the fic whatsoever. Um, my co-hosts, how were your reading experiences with this fic? I love Jujutsu Kaisen. I love Nobara. I love Gojo and Geita. I love Sayori. Geito. Geito. Ita Itadori. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> they all have a place in my heart forever. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's amazing. No, um, if you don't know about the show, you can read this legally and um, <laughs> cognitively <laughs> you are able to um, it's not going to be the easiest ride so I'll just note that um, but it is pretty character centric it really focuses on our main girl as she kind of goes through I guess most stages of her entire life unfortunately <laughs> uh, rip literally <laughs> yeah that's a shame uh, wow a bummer Reed had mentioned before I started reading that this fic had major character death in it, and I was not 100% sure that it was going to be our main girl. Um, Reed did send some voice notes with Jujutsu Kaisen info, and if I had listened to them with perfect comprehension, I would have been pretty confident that she was the one that died. <laughs> but I listened with medium comprehension and missed that bit. So we got to the end and I was like, whoa, Darshi blow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We're back in Brenda's yes. episode. I was just having a Moby Dick moment. Uh, it happens to the best of us. Uh, but yeah, it just surprised me. Um, the other thing I have thoughts and feelings about that we're going to see how well I can articulate is the way that this particular fic positions itself inside of a canon that I have not seen or read or like watched at all. So I'm going to try and have coherent thoughts, but forgive me if I say something and read. It's like, mm, no, uh, <laughs> I'm doing my best. Uh, but just like to follow a character this closely to get a lot of missing scenes in her story and then to end it where it did. I thought it was a really smart kind of framing and I enjoyed reading it. So those are my initial thoughts. I will say more things soon. Yeah, I struggled a little bit with my lack of Jujutsu Kaisen knowledge. Um, 
gotta say that it's not even something that I've really picked up anything about via osmosis. Um, I have no knowledge of this canon. It's something I really learned <laughs> listening to Reed's voice notes. I was like, what the hell is this show about? <laughs> um, yeah, realized I had n no clue. Um, so I did listen to Reed's voice notes. I listened to them twice. I still was a little bit lost at certain points, but that's okay. Um, it's not Reed's fault. It's my fault for not having watched Jujutsu Kaisen, a show that I'm never going to see, <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, that being said, I did, I did get through it. Okay. I definitely had an easier time in the first half where Nobura is just sort of growing up in her small town. And we only kind of have a few other main characters that are sort of like reference points. And at least one of them is an, OC well, sort of an expanded on character of her grandma. Um, so that like that gave me more footing, I think. I was also just sort of imagining that half as sort of a Studio Ghibli-esque movie. Um, you know, I don't know, a, a little child in a sort of semi-rural Japanese village. Um, it just, it, that's how it is in my brain. So I was like following along more <laughs> with the little story that was like playing out in my head, um, looking very like spirited away. Um, and then I did lose the plot a little bit when she got to Tokyo. Um, we're just introduced to a lot more characters who you would obviously know if you'd watched the anime. Um, but I have not. And I did start to get a little bit lost. Um, but again, it's not the fault of the author. This is just something that happens in fan fiction that we're always trying to navigate at the show is like, how much can you really get by without having canon knowledge? And I think a lot of times we like are very successful in picking things that you don't really need canon knowledge from. One thing that I think exists in certain canons and fanons that always throws me off a little bit more um, is when something is very sort of nicknamey heavy or when people go by multiple names. Um, I have definitely seen this pretty extensively in uh, fandoms that are pulling from like East Asian media, but also things like hockey where people just like have nicknames <laughs> on the ice that like make almost no sense with their like well, given also, name. Like, fantasy worlds. I'm thinking about the Untamed where I'm like oh, help or like a memory called empire yeah i guess that's what i was thinking of when i was thinking of like east asian media I was because i've definitely like had fantasy issues. titles plus like whatever else going on yeah 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 um i was thinking about idols where like we often know them by like a stage name and a given name and a nickname by their members and like there just becomes like layers and layers of names um so i think in the sort of canons that have more of that, that's somewhere where like not being in the fandom and like literate in the names becomes more challenging. And that's definitely somewhere where I sort of felt like I hit a little bit of a wall when Nobura meets everyone else um, because it starts to give like descriptions and it will use like a few different like variations of people's names or like I feel like there were times where it used a first name or a last name and I was like I think this is this person maybe and I just sort of went with it um, I, I think I still got the point of the story <laughs> but I was just thinking about like things that like it is easy to go with the flow on versus things that become quite difficult and yeah to Nick's point like this is something that I think when I encounter it in non-fan fiction media, it's definitely the hardest in like high fantasy when someone's like, Lord, blah, 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 blah. But his name was also like Gerald. And then someone calls him like Gerald a million years later. You're like, Not even Gerald. They call him like Jerry. 
<laughs> yeah they call sorry yeah his like childhood bestie calls him like jerry and you're like who and someone else is like oh yes the lord of blah 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 and you're like oh right him one of like the 600 lords in this story who i certainly kept track of um, but yeah i think that's definitely a spot for like for me also i don't have great name recollection it's just not like a super strong point of my brain um i got a little bit lost with the other people she's going to school with um Sorry, that was a long rambly tangent about names in fiction. Um, that all being said, I did find my footing um, and made it through <laughs> this fic unscathed <laughs> by my inability to remember who anyone is. Um, I definitely enjoyed Nobora's character arc here. And I also like liked this take on an open, ambiguous ending, sort of especially in conversation with the other fics that we brought. I do think that's like a joy of having these sort of thematic episodes where we can look at things in contrast to one another um, rather than in sort of more of a vacuum like we sometimes do. Yeah, this is a fic that I first read, I think right after I'd seen season one or something, I was poking around the tag and was struggling not to find things that were referencing canon I didn't know or like were major spoilers. I, this, okay, I'm gonna be honest. This fic has a lot of additional tags. And when a fic has a lot of additional tags, I, my brain just goes, no, like, I, I don't even read tags much to begin with. So if there's like three, I'll probably pick up on them. But if there's like more than four or five, like, who knows? Um, so I had totally missed in the tags where it mentions that it's spoilers for Shibuya arc. And also as someone who hadn't been spoiled at that point, I was quite surprised with the places that this fic went. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, returning to it now, having finished season two, there are so many more references to canon and things that I thought were really smart and also just like made a lot of sense. But I think the thing that I liked most about this fic is the Nobara characterization of it all because I really, really like Nobara. Um, she is a character who is quite sharp in many ways, but she is not mean and she's not like cold or distant. She has a lot of feelings and I like that this fic explored that. I am sure many, many people listening to this are familiar with uh, the old fandom trend of taking any any character who can be characterized as, like, a strong female character, and then she's like, ooh, the mean lesbian trope. Mm. And I like that Nobra is not that in this fic, and she's not really that in canon. As I mentioned, she is deeply lesbian-coded. Um, she just has the most intense relationships with various women in her life and the couple of times that people try to make comments about her and like the two other boys in her class she's like ew gross absolutely not but she doesn't fit into that like quote-unquote like mean lesbian stereotype um she is a fully fleshed out character in her own right especially so in this fic and i think getting to see her progression from when she was a child to when she's a teenager Whoa. and that's it <laughs> um oh girl uh yeah, well, I'll get back there. But I think getting to see her progression of, like, what made her who she is as a kid, especially, um, yeah, really worked well for me. Because you you get some knowledge of her backstory, but you don't get most of Nobra's backstory until, pew, 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 spoilers, the scene right before she dies. Uh, and so I think this author was doing a lot of the work to sort of set up who she is before you get there. Um, and I appreciated the way it was done. Yeah, I love a fic that sort of expands back on a character we don't know a whole lot about, especially if they had sort of like a poignant death scene or just like a poignant sort of ending scene. It doesn't necessarily have to be like death, but just like sort of the last time we see them or the last time we see them for a while or something like that. Um, I feel like that definitely is always like an open door that I'm interested to see fanfic authors enter through. <laughs> and I think something that did sort of capture my imagination with this one 
was the fact that I knew from Reed's voice notes that we like don't know a ton about Nobura's like upbringing and that a lot of this was written into this fic just like from the headcanons of this author um her grandmother is such a central character in this fic and her grandmother is never even mm -hmm. named in the show yeah I really liked the grandmother character she worked very well for me here especially in sort of like being able to see how Nobura grows into the person that we like know her as when she gets to the academy and when she's like sort of dealing with these bigger forces in her life. Like, I really liked being able to see how she got there. Um, I feel like stories about children don't always work for me, but maybe it was just because I was sort of in a Miyazaki headspace when I was, like, reading this, that, like, it really was working for me to sort of, like, experience this semi-isolated childhood that she's going through. Um, I feel like I've also just been, like, consuming a lot of media recently that's been making me think about, like, how weird kids and teenagers are both in like positive and negative senses but just like so many of us like went through life sort of living in our own little head spaces for so much of it and I think it's interesting how this author sort of fleshes out Nobra like with her different relationships with her grandma and then the two girls that she's friends with in town and sort of all of this stuff that she's learning about the curse magic or whatever you call it um and sort of the intertwining of those things in her life and how those all bring her to this, I guess not proper adulthood, but like her teen years where it feels like she's like stepping into a more grown up role at the academy versus like her her early childhood years. Um, yeah, that all worked really, really well for me here. And I think made the ending like more sentimental too, especially as someone who like doesn't have the attachment to Nobra that I would have had like watching the show. I definitely feel like she's a character I would have liked though. Like I really liked her here. Um, and I could see myself really liking her in the anime as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the first half especially um, worked quite well for me and like made the sort of how the ending was written like with her death slash maybe death but she does sort of experience the death regardless <laughs> um, uh like work well for me yeah i really appreciated how much interiority she got in this story i think she is indeed a very likable pov character and very much carried the story throughout um, i'm gonna digress a little bit from this specific fic to talk about femslash i have feelings about it if i may yeah please um, do it is the bulk of our episode for once so that's exciting Sorry, lads. I feel like I've been never, I'm never with, I'm never with the team on this shit. We'll bring Fem Slash, and I don't. It's Pride Month, and well, I'm in the streets. Like, what am I doing? You know, these things happen. I just don't think. I don't know. I don't think about this stuff. I didn't know we were doing it. Surprise! It's my birthday. Women. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nick, for your birthday, I brought you lesbians and major character yeah. death, two things that you love. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. That's really kind and thoughtful of you, Reed. <laughs> when I was looking for my fic, I really did want to bring Femme Slash. I'll talk about this more when I get to it. But the way that I found it was in this one person's bookmarks on AO3, which was like hundreds and hundreds of works in different fandoms that are all Femme Slash. It's like this person went from fandom to fandom and bookmarked everything they could find. Respected that deeply. It helped me out a lot. But it also made me think about the kinds of stories that we get, the kinds of fandoms that are predominantly femslash fandoms, quote unquote, the kinds of fandoms that get really big and how many prominent women there are, both in the actual fandom source material and also within the Fanish content. There's often attrition of women into the Fanish content, which I have my own feelings about. 
But it reminded me of this Tumblr post I reblogged a little bit ago, where it's a very long thread, and the first post in the thread is, it just kills me when writers create franchises where like 95% of the speaking roles are male, then get morally offended that all of the popular ships are gay. It's like, what did they expect? This goes on for a while, a whole lot of people jump on board, and they're like, exactly. Statistically, of course we're not going to care or write about the women. They're boring and flat. We're going to ship the men. This is good. Uh, someone unironically said, I really appreciate when Tumblr commentary is of the quality I might see at an academic conference. No joke. And I went, oh, oh Christ. That is oh. um, perhaps a fair burn to academic conferences, but I don't think intended to be. <laughs> Anyway, um, I reblogged it for the last edition to the thread, the only one that challenges this idea, uh, where uh, Tumblr user Illumish, the only one I'll name because they're the one I agree with, and I don't particularly want to blast people that I think are saying nonsense or said nonsense online years ago. Um, but this person says, I've written about this before, but in a lot of cases that I've seen, the M slash M numbers are somewhat between a little and extremely disproportionately high relative to the actual character breakdown. Even fandoms with more main female characters often have more or bigger M slash M ships than M slash F or F slash F ships. And this is the case even in some fandoms where women are built out as built out as the men as characters. Um, they go on to say some more things and they also talk about how white men tend to be elevated above women, men of color, women of color especially, trans characters, etc, etc. All of which I agree with. I have feelings about it. Also, if you're like really invested in a fandom where the source show is 95% men talking. Like, I feel like I can't help you <laughs> with this point. <laughs> like, that's the kind of story you're seeking out in the first place, whatever. Um, but I just really appreciated, thank you, Reed, for bringing in a story where this author kind of watched this show that seems to have a pretty gender-diverse cast from what I can tell from the actual um, fic <laughs> and the kinds of people that Nova is interacting with, and chose this girl, decided that she seemed interesting rolled it out wrote her story it just felt good to be like wow an author who wants to write about a girl <laughs> and it's like nice and also so sad that that feels like weirdly revolutionary maybe it's this fandom circles that i've hung out in maybe it's the stuff that i've exposed myself to and that we all have doing this show and just searching the ao3 tags raw right going through sorting by popularity trying to figure out what's what looking at what people are writing the most of, it can be kind of disheartening. And so I always appreciate when we get a chance to push back against that. I try to do that with the fic that I brought as well. Yeah, when you're deep in the AO3 minds and no one has ever heard of a no, woman in their life. Like, Kylux, Kylux, Kylux. I'm like, we have to stop. We have to stop. Please, I'm begging you. <laughs> we went down the Kylux tunnel. No. Oh, Billy no. Eichner voice for a dollar name a woman. Yeah. Like, Yeah, well, they can yeah. name one. Just, she's just like the evil yeah. ex or something, you know? Yeah. yeah, and it's her fault for some reason that she's not interesting. Ugh, yeah. Jujutsu Kaisen is interesting because it definitely leans more heavily towards men than women, but, like, the women are interesting, and they do have, like, they're not just, like, flat one-note characters, but I've seen, um, and I've seen this as a kind of a criticism across the board for the show, that technically Yuji is the protagonist, and maybe, like, Gojo is the secondary protagonist, depending on the season, um, but... It focuses on a lot of characters. You get a, a little bit of many people, which therefore means that everyone suffers a little bit for... Not everyone. Um, like, certainly some characters are fleshed out more than others. But because it does give you a pretty wide cast of people to care about, it therefore does not dig super deep into all of those people. 
And because proportionately there are less women in the show, like you get less of that. But again, the women that are there, I do feel like I've seen worse representation, like for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense that um, this author wanted to focus on Nobra because she is great and we do love her. I think we do need to like really explore the open ambiguous ending tag here and the major character death and the sort of meta level of canon because quite frankly, even though this is tagged open ambiguous ending, I think as I said before, the ending is not that ambiguous in the sense that Nobara dies, like she fully dies. However, so in canon, Nobara dies to a curse um, and it's sad. And then somebody shows up and is like, hey, my special curse energy technique is that I can stabilize people. And um, this person's talking to Yuji Itadori and is like, your friend seemed pretty bad, but I've done my best to stabilize her. I don't make any promises. Don't hold out a lot of hope, but she might be fine. And then it just never gets mentioned again. Like, ever? Um, I don't know canonically in the manga how much time has passed between Shibuya and whatever, wherever the manga is now. But I do know that Nobara hasn't been mentioned once. Is she dead? I don't know. Schrodinger's Nobara. Like, <laughs> what is up, girl? Who can say? And it's interesting because I mentioned that friend of the pod, Sharpa, and I had been watching season two and Sharpa had known this going in uh, and had mentioned it to me. And so we were really curious to see if the anime would be more conclusive, like if the anime would actually sort of detail things one way or another. No, it's very like... You know in Avatar, The Last Airbender, when they go to watch that play about themselves and there's that scene where like a thing falls on Jet and they're like, did Jet die? And it's like, I, you know, it was very unclear. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of how the entire fandom feels about Nobra. And so in that way, the open ambiguous ending is like, well, it's major character death, but is it? Like one of the tags on this fic is like, this is canon until like the creator proves otherwise. And it's like, yeah, fair enough. Because um, this is not a show where... I was gonna say this is not a show where people die and come back. That's not entirely true, but for the most part, it's not like a Marvel superhero thing where it's like, oh, someone's maybe questionably dead, but anybody could come back, so we want to leave the door open. Like, many people die, and it's very upsetting, and they are, like, fully dead. There's a line in the fic that reads, many things die in Shibuya. In that sense, Nobara really isn't special at all, which is brutal and also very true. So I don't know, it's interesting having sort of the meta-level knowledge about the canon and reading this fic and looking at the tag... Because again, like, I think if you didn't have the metal level of knowledge, like, I don't think this would qualify as open ambiguous ending. But when you take into account the wider context, then there's a whole new discussion happening. And I do find that interesting. Yeah, we'll talk about this more, I think, next uh, discussion. But I think it's open ambiguous ending in the opposite way that Brenna's is, <laughs> where mm -hmm. the source material makes it open and ambiguous versus we'll talk about it. But the source material kind of unambiguates it to some degree. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I definitely think something that's interesting in all three of these is like, what role is sort of meta and the source material element like playing in giving something an open ending or not? Um, and sort of the way that like fandom can continue on um, beyond, <laughs> beyond a certain moment where a fan fiction was produced. Maybe Nomura will come back and that will give this fic like a whole different flavor. I would love if she did. I do have fears because, like, it is the kind of canon where if someone does come back, it's not right. It's not the same. Yeah, I was going to say they might come back as, like, a revenant kind of character or something. Or just, like, fucked up. Like, if the whole thing about the world is that bad energy creates curse monsters, 
I can't imagine that someone coming back from the dead after the wretchedness that was the general Shibuya arc would be like, and she comes back ready to fight and she's good and healthy and it's all fine. But I still want and her back. she is back. the most normal and healthy girl in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Nobra hero arc known to Jessamus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tumblr user Bite Dykes said, Okay, fine. Maybe I did come back wrong. What are you going to do about it? Kill me? Put me back in the ground? After all this effort, all this pain and suffering, only to find out bringing me back wasn't worth it after all? You work so hard. Are you going to waste all of that just because I'm not what you wanted? Just because I belong only to myself? Are you going to let me pick out my own coffin? Yeah, go off Tumblr user Bite Dykes. I am going to unambiguously wrap the discussion on this fic, The Place Where Cities and Starscapes Collide by Jubliss. A little foray into the world of Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, maybe there will be more on the show. It is, as you have heard from my co-host, a kind of complicated canon. Um, but for Nick, maybe I'll try to find a Gojo fic yeah. in the future so we can really round out all of your favorites. He's so sexy and has six eyes sometimes. Yeah, more or less. Nobara does not have six eyes. And Nobara's dead or she isn't. Who's to say? Certainly not I, but maybe the canon will tell us someday. Maybe if some of the curses that existed in the Jujutsu Kaisen world showed up in the Sally House, Ryan would have found a more satisfying ending to the BFU show. Brenna? My fic for this episode is Just What I Needed To by Be The Change. Uh, this is a fic for BuzzFeed Unsolved web series as well as Watcher Entertainment, the uh, web company that was founded by Ryan Shane and Stephen Lim post their BuzzFeed departure. This fic centers on Ryan and Shane um, and is set uh, during the filming of the final BuzzFeed Unsolved episode where they revisit the Sally House in Kansas, uh, which is one of the very first places that they went for the show. The first time they go to Sally House is like, whoa, it's a kind of intense episode um, for a number of reasons. And this fic sort of centers on the concept of them returning to it and it being much more lackluster, but sort of opening a door to explore the emotional elements of like what it means to have this show ending. This was posted on the day that that final episode aired, where they did in fact go to Sally House. I think they must have known that in advance, because I don't think Be The Change is like that <laughs> prophetic. Um, <laughs> but they were relatively prophetic in the fact that like it was a slightly lackluster revisit to Sally House. Um, and... Yeah, something I definitely want to get into as we enter this discussion is sort of like the meta levels of this fic and sort of what it draws from having been posted at a very exact moment and like taking place in a very exact moment um, of this fandom history. And this was posted in 2021. So sort of like where we've gone from here um, in terms of actual real life events and like fandom events um, sort of make this a less ambiguous open-ended fic. But I still think like in the I, I read it the day it was posted because I'm subscribed to be the change on AO3, so I got the little notif and I ran my little feet over and I read it. Um, and I've read it a few times since then, um, so it always sort of exists in my memory in perpetuity, like at that sort of temporal moment. <laughs> this is one that sort of does leave us at a plot point where like things are not 
like super unresolved, but there is a lot of like ambiguity in terms of like what their relationship is going to be like going forward. And like, there's a lot that's been like unresolved about like what's going to happen in the future on a lot of different regards. Um, I love Be the Changes uh, character work in this. Um, I think it does some really interesting stuff with like anxiety that I really appreciate. Um, And yeah, I just, I adore this fic and I'm really glad that I remembered it existed for this episode. I don't have any major content warnings for this one, especially since uh, sort of no demon activity really actually happens. Spoiler (laughs) horns for no demons, I guess. Um, (laughs) I will say like there are three additional tags on this that I do think are very present in the fic. If any of these are things that you don't vibe with, uh, it does include depictions of Ryan's anxiety and intrusive thoughts. As well as some under-negotiated polyamory that at first glance you're like, ah, is this going to be infidelity? And then it it ducks. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you don't vibe with any of those things, those are present, but there's nothing. But this does not go in the same direction as some of the BFU fix we've talked about before. That's sort of a darker or creepier element. Reed and Nick, what did you think of our return to BFU and the Sally House? Yeah, Reed, how was your return to the Sally House? <laughs> It was great. Reed, you've been to the Sally House yes. before in a metaphorical <laughs> What did that even mean? Uh, like, you watched the yeah. video and you read the fic. We've been there Some together on this podcast. exists on the same level of resonance as the Sally House. Yeah, don't all of our souls resonate at the same frequency that the demonic Mine Sally doesn't. House resonates Mine only at? resonates at the same frequency as angelic things, but that's a separate conversation. Okay. Oh, well... <laughs> doesn't seem very fun. (laughs) Brenna and I can be over here with our demonic vibes. Yes, I enjoyed this fic. This is a, I guess, canon, so to speak, that I am less familiar with than my co-hosts. It is way more accessible than going into a Jujutsu Kaisen fic with no anime knowledge, especially because I have seen a couple BFU episodes, mostly, I think, with Nick, maybe Brenna, but I remember Nick being like, watch some of this show, and I was like, okay, um... Did it take me a bit at the beginning of the fic to remember which one was Shane and which one was Ryan? Yes, but that's okay. I got there pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, I think it's an interesting fic to read as someone who was not in the fandom and like doesn't have any particularly strong emotional feelings about it because the center of this fic is, as Brenna said, the ending of BFU and Ryan's many, many complicated and sort of heavy feelings about it. I imagine this dropping on the day that the actual last episode came out was probably hit really hard for a lot of people in the fandom. Um, But I think for me, what stood out the most was, yes, Brenna just mimed, I think, a knife in the chest um, is what that (laughs) seems like. (laughs) Yeah, it hit hard for me. (laughs) But I think for me, the thing that really stood out the most is not necessarily like Ryan's specific feelings about the show, but the way they sort of extrapolate out into this larger feeling of Thinking about something and wanting it to be a specific way so badly that by the time you get to that experience, there is no possible way it could live up to what you have crafted in your head and that in fact the expectations that you're putting on it have just sort of set you up for failure in some ways. I found that really interesting, the like through line of that throughout this fic and also just sort of the different ways that Ryan and Shane were approaching the ending of BFU and how they contrasted with one another. Because I did not watch the ending of... BFU, I was like, kind of spent a lot of the fake bracing for the demons. Like, not like I was like scared, but I was like, I wonder if something is going to happen. Um, and then, no, it is just really mundane all the way through. But I think that made um, for a more satisfying story for the story that Be the Change was trying to tell. So, 
Yeah, I enjoyed Ghoul Boys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I enjoyed being back with them, um, even if this is not my area of expertise. I think this, like, I was looking back to make sure we hadn't talked about this fic before, because I know I had brought up Be the Change fic. And I think this is like our fifth BFU fic or something. So read, get on board with the ghoul boy. But it's been so many years. Like we did like yellow square, sorry, yellow Yellow square square in episode like two or three, I guess by our numbering system. It's been very spread out. It's been very spread out throughout all the episodes. Before any of this, Reed had baited one of my BFU fics. Like you, you were in it. Yeah, I you were loving it. I, I talked about this in the pod, I am positive, with one of the previous BFU fics, that my first experience to the fandom was baiting your yeah. fic. You described Shane as having pool noodle limbs, and I went, hold on, I need to stop <laughs> baiting to go Google what this man looks like. And then I was like, yeah, that's accurate. Um, but it's been so many years. Yeah. Oh, them. I freaking love this fic. It was my first time reading it, actually. I had never read it. Uh, I was in the fandom and then I wasn't kind of abruptly, not for any reason, really. It just kind of had moved on. Um, and oh my goodness. Wow. Coming back to these guys. This last Halloween, I watched quite a few of the Ghost Files episodes that they've done with Watcher, which are kind of like, I almost said the untamed, unsolved. <laughs> They're not like the untamed at all. Wow. If they were out here doing the untamed, that would really that be something. That would be something. I don't no. even know what that looks like. I don't either. I don't know. Get them on a little rig so they can fly on swords. <laughs> Maybe. Um, no, that are kind of like unsolved, just with fancier new equipment and a lot more goofs and also their longer episodes overall. And it was very nostalgic. It was very lovely. And I feel like reading this fic, uh, anytime I read a good BuzzFeed unsolved fic, I get so many emotions that all careen into me with the force of seven freight trains. And so I was feeling that. I was choked up reading parts of this fic. I was just having emotions. <laughs> I assumed... It makes me so happy. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to say, I assumed Brenna was doing emotional terrorism for my birthday, so I'm glad to hear <laughs> that it made you happy. <laughs> hey, you love emotional terrorism. I do. <laughs> it's a birthday yeah, gift. <laughs> Literally, like, I like that it's like, I hand Nick like a wretched fic in which our girl dies. Brenna hands Nick a fic in which they feel like they've been hit by seven freight trains yeah. and we're like, happy birthday. These are Best the experiences you wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's what you asked for explicitly. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I have a lot of thoughts about the characterization in this story and the ways in which it does and does not kind of pull from the show versus like behind the scenes content and like public persona versus less public persona the meta level of all of it obviously not only what happens after that we know because we are alive and have seen watcher do its thing um but also just in the sense of what happens after like within the context of the story like we know that they have to still go home and like work together There's so much to love about it. I have a lot of thoughts about particular scenes, so I'm going to stop talking now so we can talk about specific things. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm back to talk more about a specific scene. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding, Brenna. You can have the mic back. No, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, I think something that really worked for me about this fic and something that I think contributed to me wanting to bring it for this episode about sort of like how how endings are approached in fiction is that like this whole story is about endings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is not just the ending of the story that's an ending. <laughs> it is amusing on endings um, in a way that I thought was like really effective. Um, 
I know in our intro, I sort of uh, bashed not plot heavy things a little bit. I think a fic like this where there is some plot, but there's also quite a bit of introspection does really hit for me. I just need something to be moving it along. And here there was enough sort of to balance between the actual like momentum of like them literally having to go film these things and like do the tasks as well as like Ryan's sort of emotional arc that sort of pushed things forward all of that like really worked for me so I think if you were like Brenna but you do like character driven stories yes I do um as long as like there is momentum within the character's story I suppose I think also, this is also another sort of, I've been on a lot of tangents this episode, lads. So sorry. Bear with me, everyone. Brenna's tangent corner, but you can never find it in the same place because she's always (laughs) moving. Oh, no. Hey, I have to work on having a new corner in 2024. That's true. That's a thing. Um, I think for many of us, and I definitely know I have felt this way in so many fandoms, like I sort of latch on to a particular author's characterization. And even if I don't necessarily think that it like lines up perfectly with what we've gotten publicly of the person or like what exists in like canon, if it's if it's not RPF, I am like this one belongs to me and it exists in my heart and I will cherish it forever. That's how I feel about Be The Changes characterizations. (laughs) They were like my guiding light through BuzzFeed fandom and I feel like a big reason why I haven't really been as much like reading BFU or Watch Your Fic in the last few years is because they stopped writing it and then I was like well where, where do I go <laughs> um but all that to say like I think this Ryan definitely shows a lot more anxiety than like the Ryan of this moment was showing us in sort of a public persona Ryan at the beginning of BFU was very like outwardly anxious and scared of things and I think by the end had that had calmed down quite a bit at least on camera um but this internal Ryan that we have here is experiencing a lot of anxiety in a way that I thought was like really really realistic to the ways that like I've experienced a lot of anxiety um And especially revisiting this, I think when I first read it, my anxiety was like not as bad as it's been in the last couple of years. I went on this sort of an anxiety journey between reading this for the first time and revisiting it now. Um, And I think it's like, it really did something to like reread this and like see the way that Ryan is like experiencing these things that I felt so similarly. Um... Ryan experiences a lot of intrusive thoughts in this that sort of just revolve around what's happening to them right then. Like, what if this plane crashes? What if this car drives off the road? Like, what if we can't do these things? And, like, they're all really related to, like, just kind of not being able to finish this project. Like, not being able to see this ending through. And I really liked how his anxieties both felt very realistic and also very, like, narratively grounded. And, like, sort of for the purpose of the narrative without feeling, like, too heavy-handed. I suppose, like, it all really tied together quite well for me. And, like, I think Reed alluded to this, and I'll, I'll let someone else expand on it more if they want. But, like, the way that this starts with such, like, a high-stakes feeling from Ryan and, like, the pressure that is being put on this adventure and, like, this final, like, BFU shoot day versus the sort of lackluster episode that they end up with or, like, the lackluster events that happen at the Sally House, like, it's so rich to me (laughs) i just love this feeling of like building up to something that ends up falling a little bit flat and just having to grapple with that like that's not where this ends it ends after they sort of have to like deal with like what is left after you sort of realize that you've built this all up for yourself so much um yeah 
I don't know. I'm just obsessed with this. I feel like this is a fic I could like keep rereading. And it does so much just like about the concept of endings and how we approach things that we feel like are going to be final, um, even if they aren't necessarily the final thing, especially in the context of like sort of this ongoing conversation, this episode about like how we're approaching endings and what these fics are doing with endings. And also what they are doing with beginnings. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm here. I I have to discuss a scene in detail. So as Brenna said, they finished the shoot. It's a little bit lackluster. There are a couple of really richly horrendous, wretched moments where Ryan is overflowing with emotion and Shane does not know what to do with all that. Where Ryan is just like, I gotta tell you, like, this has meant so much to me. And Shane's like, okay. (laughs) Not because he doesn't also feel a lot, but in fact, maybe because he feels too much and doesn't know what to do with it. And it culminates in them going out with the entire crew to a bar to celebrate the end of Unsolved. And Ryan, very high anxiety, is having this moment of like, if Shane doesn't join us here, if like we don't go and do this together, it's never going to happen. People are going to cancel. People are going to get busy. We're going to get home. It's going to fizzle out. I can't let this thing fizzle out. It was so important to me. If it fizzles out, what does that say about me as a person? Sorry to anyone who has listened to this episode on a higher speed and now has lost track of my words because <laughs> I sped up aggressively. But he finds Shane on his laptop and is like, hey, man, like, we're going to do this. And Shane is like, nah. And Ryan's like, we are going to do this. And there's this horrible little line at the end of that scene where Shane closes his laptop and is like, fine. But the way that he closes it, the way his posture is, the sound of it, everything very much indicates it's this great imposition to him to go celebrate. So Ryan's annoyed. Shane is in a weird mood. They go. During the shoot, there was this song that kept coming up that is like really the only piece of like anything borderline evidence they got. And Ryan is like, okay, well, haha, I'm going to play it on the jukebox because I've had a few. So he like searches it painstakingly, turns around with a big smile on his face and is like, Shane is going to love this. We're going to lock eyes and laugh and everything is going to feel okay again. But Shane is not there. Where did he go? He went out. It's raining. <laughs> okay. World's fastest pod fic of this fic. It is. I have, to t- I have to tell you all about this. It's really important. Okay. <laughs> So Ryan's like, I need to get some air. I can't deal with this. He's drunk. He's making bad decisions, but he's like, I'm going to get out of here. So he starts walking around in the rain. He's like kind of miserable. And he sees a figure in an alleyway smoking. Who could it be? Reed, who is it? Oh, is it Shane? Yes. I was testing to see if you were paying attention. It absolutely is. I'm paying attention as we record (laughs) our show. Well, you never know. (laughs) Shane is there. He's smoking. He is looking tormented and kind of upset. And kind of angry. And Ryan is like, why are you angry? I'm angry. And Shane is like, no, I'm angry. And they're like talking about this. And Ryan is like, why can't you just tell me that this thing is like so important to you as much as it's important to me? And we have this like borderline blowout where Ryan has um, what you might call a vicarious O moment. Where the O is not, I'm in love with him. The O is, oh, he's into me and wants to sleep with me. And that's why he's been weird about this. That's why he's been emotionally constipated. That's why he can't engage with me in these conversations because he's worried that he's going to say too much and give too much and it's going to break the whole thing open. Um, anyway, they kiss. It's a really bad decision. And the rest of the fi- events of the fake unfold. Yeah, because from there. Ryan's reaction to that is, oh, I guess maybe I could also have a gay crush in return. I didn't think about that uh, until 30 <laughs> seconds ago. Let's go for it. <laughs> he's he's like- in. He's unstoppable. <laughs> Oh, it's so good because it's so much about momentum. It's so much about like this thing is ending, but maybe if a new thing begins, which is like water, but also now this like weird 
quasi-sexual relationship they're developing. Like, maybe that can make up for the fact that this thing is ending. Like, what do I do with my grief over this thing that I'm losing? What do I do with the fact that it feels like we're limping to the end? How do I deal with the person that I changed into over the course of this entire show? Because if I leave it behind, then I have to be this new version of myself. It's so many themes, and I love themes. <sighs> kind of to Nick's point about momentum and also referencing what Brian and I have both said before about um, the fact that Ryan has built up this last shoot to be something so big and specific in his head and it just doesn't go that way. I thought one of the particular gut punches of this fic was the ways in which Ryan continuously is trying to manufacture that perfect moment. He doesn't get it in the Sally house. Like they try all of these things to lure out the demons and there's pretty much nothing. And so he tries to manufacture it by telling Shane, hey, you're coming out with us. We always do a post-shoot sort of wrap at the bar. Like you're going to do this thing. Like we're going to have our rituals and our routines and it's going to be good. It's that moment, yeah, with the jukebox and the song of turning around and okay, once I see Shane, everything will be fine and it's not. Um, and I do find it interesting that like in some ways the things that ends up bringing Ryan the most catharsis is this very unexpected and unplanned thing um yeah entering a quasi-sexual relationship with his co-worker where ryan didn't know that he even potentially had gay feelings for him until again about 30 seconds after he had the realization that shane was into him um that wasn't on ryan's meticulously thought out plan for the weekend uh and it's not like that is hmm Again, an easy thing or just like, a okay, great. And they're doing this and there's no complications there. There are many, many, many complications there. But it is this stepping into uncharted territory that does in many ways finally break Ryan out of the anxiety spiral that he had been in or just this cyclical pattern of this is the end. This is the end. What do things look like next? I feel like that experience kind of opens him up to like, okay, I don't know all the answers, but like, actually, I think that we will be fine. And this is going to be fine, even if it didn't go exactly the way I'd been picturing it. I just thought that was an interesting theme or what have you that Nick was <laughs> losing their gourd about. Yeah, I mean, I think sort of Ryan breaking himself out of this sort of anxiety spiral loop he's been experiencing for the first like half of this fic is like the only thing that sort of allows us to have an ending that is both relatively open and also satisfying <laughs> because for the first part of it he's so stuck in what you both talked about about just like I need to have this plan if we do x if we do y it will be okay and like you know that's probably what is triggering a lot of his intrusive thoughts at the beginning is like fixating on this plan so much but like it's also appearing at the Sally house it's appearing when they go out to drinks it's appearing like just throughout all of this where Ryan's like we have to do our rituals we have to do things in this exact way and then it'll like be fine and it will be the good ending and we can like end it and it'll be okay that we're moving on and he's not really saying any of this out loud but this is what we're picking up on as readers and I think the only way to feel sort of okay about the relatively messy ending that it leaves us with in a lot of ways is to like know that Ryan has broken out of sort of this spiral and like has the ability to sort of like take bigger swings, I guess, <laughs> and sort of like go for it in a, in a new way. It feels like he was sort of stuck in a position that wouldn't have allowed him to move on to whatever Watcher was going to bring. And at this time, like this sort of brings us to the meta points, but like I think Watcher started when they were still airing the end of BFU, if I'm remembering correctly. So we knew right. some of what the Watcher programming was, and none of it at that point was ghost-based. 
a while later we do find out that they're gonna do another ghost series but like that didn't that wasn't in the public consciousness at this time so i think it really feels like you know we as a fandom and ryan as a character it's like okay stepping into this new thing and sort of allowing himself to have an openness approaching it rather than sort of having a feeling of like we have to have a perfect plan x y and z for every little thing that we're gonna do um because like unsolved has been his baby for so long but yeah i don't know like the ending definitely wraps up some things it wraps up some of the emotional threads that were like opened between ryan and shane and like deals with like the question of potential infidelity or anything like that um and it wraps it wraps up unsolved like they they're done with their last shoot but it doesn't wrap up like what they're good it's not like oh and now we're happily marching off into exactly we know what's going to happen next and we know exactly what our relationship's going to be and it's all going to be totally fine and a happy ever after we're in love um it's like a lot more messy than that where it leaves off but i think it still feels emotionally satisfying We've kind of seen Ryan display like a new capacity to like handle shit (laughs) in a way that he was like not handling shit at the beginning. I think it often is these sort of bigger unexpected challenges that someone has to face that can kind of break someone out of an anxiety loop like Ryan was experiencing. And I don't know, I just really appreciated that from like a realistic perspective and the narrative's perspective of like opening this ending. Yeah, there's a line from the fic that I feel like encapsulates that really well, which does take place in the middle of them banging but is obviously also doing work beyond just that, where Shane is basically saying, I can't make this last, and then the fic reads, that's okay, Ryan says. Shane, that's okay. And as he says it, he finds himself believing it. All good things end. It's better than the alternative. That slow, bitter drag into unhappiness and irrelevancy because nobody knows when to say when. They can say when. Yeah. First of all, banger of a line. But in many ways, that is closing the chapter on... Not just unsolved, but again, a lot of the sort of open-ended anxiety questions, feelings that Ryan was having. But as you were saying, Bren, it doesn't neatly tie up everything that is happening to them. Just because many things have sort of been resolved and put to rest does not mean that everything has, which I think strikes a good balance for this open, ambiguous ending. Because it really isn't like a feel-good story. As much as it has a really beautiful ending, as much as they do get some amount of closure, so much of this story is just about the unfortunate human condition of ambiguity, of not really knowing if you're making the right call or not, of making some like ethically dubious decisions within the context of your polyamory that probably hasn't been discussed in this particular context as much with your partner. Eek. But like they're making bad and weird decisions. They're like not having neat and tidy emotions. I really appreciated that about this story. And I think it reminds me of, I'm I'm saying this with a grain of salt as someone who wasn't fully in the fandom at the time, but knowing the fandom's own kind of mixed reactions to the way things were ending, to that last episode, to the fact that they were breaking off to start their own company. And it wasn't to do more ghosty stuff. It was like to try a bunch of other different things. That was never going to be a perfect or smooth transition. And like, I think we all knew Especially once they leave and make their own company, right? It's hard to be like, wow, the end of Unsolved is so exciting. I can't wait to watch this last season, even though we know that the reason they're leaving is because they were unhappy doing it at BuzzFeed. <laughs> like, there is that meta-level context that I think adds a lot of dimensions, and Be the Change did not shy away from really diving into those. Of like, okay, well, it's a little bit less fun when Ryan isn't scared out of his mind, but you can't maintain that level of fear for years when you're not gathering like concrete evidence necessarily you can't it's like your nervous system just like can't maintain that (laughs) and you get older and you change as a person like it's impossible to capture that moment in amber and keep it forever because like you have to keep living as a person too 
that's one of the complicated things about RPF as well. So I just had a lot of feelings about that progression to the ambiguity of, well, we have to keep going and we don't know if it's going to work or not because you have to keep trying stuff. You have to keep figuring out a new direction. You have to see where it takes you. Thank you for traveling back in time with us to 2021 when BuzzFeed Unsolved ended and Ryan may or may not have had really complicated feelings about it. Um, He probably did. They probably didn't pan out like this. Um, They almost definitely did not pan out like this. But I love Be the Change's brain and it was really fun to revisit this fic, Um, especially sort of with the context of what the fandom has done and like how that affects how the ending feels. Um, Yeah, I would highly recommend this one to any of our ghouly lads out there ending unsolved was like destiny let's talk about my fic my fic for this episode is the blues run the game by coyote suspect for the fandom hustlers relationship destiny slash ramona this is a post-canon fic for the movie It's also a Yuletide fic from Yuletide 2019. Shout out to another underscore hero for having the vision to request this story because it absolutely slaps. It's about 7,500 words long. So in the movie Hustlers, if you're not familiar, uh, basically a bunch of women who work at a kind of strip dance club hustle men (laughs) in illegal ways, including Mm -hmm. getting them drunk and giving them, I believe, like ketamine and MDMA. One of them was for sure ketamine and uh, stealing their credit cards and taking a lot of money. Uh, This movie is based on a true story and a true long form article. The framing device of the movie is about the writing of the article. So Destiny and the reporter Elizabeth are talking about the events that led her to eventually, spoilers, sort of, but you kind of learn this early on, uh, the whole ring getting busted, all of them getting caught, the plea deal that came out of that, and uh, yeah, it's just like how things unfolded. So that's the that's the movie. Ramona is one of our main characters. She is played by J-Lo. Our other main character is Destiny, or real name Dorothy, and she is played by Constance Wu. They are our main pairing here, and they are definitely the two main characters in the fic. Destiny has a daughter. A big part of her story, and one of the reasons that she ended up getting into kind of stripping, and um, she might not call it sex work in this story, (laughs) Um, but there are elements of that too, was in order to support her daughter after the man that she was with left her. Uh, Ramona helped her out a lot, and then the two of them, yeah, generated this ring, hustled a bunch of men, made a bunch of money, got super rich, had some very glamorous parties, including inviting the actress who plays Betty from Riverdale. Well, they did, they invited her character. <laughs> she was also part of this ring. Yeah, they just invited <laughs> Lily Reinhardt, like, as herself. <laughs> and she had a great time. Um, no, this movie is mostly about a bunch of women doing crimes and being hot and getting caught. Oh my gosh, that was like a little nursery rhyme. Um, <laughs> say teach that one to your toddlers. Uh, don't. <laughs> Do not be Also, hot, it's like caught. not even good. <laughs> no. <laughs> Whatever. Um, this fic is post-canon. 
So it explores what happens after the article has come out and gotten very popular. It explores what Destiny's life is like in the aftermath of everything that happened, her relationship with Ramona, the two of them reconnecting a bit further, and just like what it might look like to live in the wake of something like this. And I think on the meta level, especially because this is based on a true story, I thought it was really interesting that it went on to explore, okay, what happens like when the splashy part is finished? I really enjoyed this movie when I watched it in theaters, because I have seen it, hell yeah, um, and I absolutely loved this fic, I enjoyed it so much, I'm really excited to talk about it. In terms of content warnings, I don't know how many I really have. This fic engages a lot with the elements of the movie, which does include a little bit of reference to some of the crimes that were committed, the non-consensual drugging, the thievery, and then also some of the um, sex work, stripping, dancing, all of that and people's feelings about it. So those elements are present, but I don't think there's anything kind of new to warn for necessarily over the course of this particular story. I love this fic. I'm excited to get into it. First, let's hear what my co-hosts thought. I thought this was an absolute banger. Um, I have seen the movie Hustlers, so I'm so sorry to anyone following along for their fic click 2024. Um, bingo cards, you cannot check off the square where only Nick has seen a movie. I think Nick thought they might get lucky, but they Not did it. We've close. all seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was foiled. A bunch um, of Hustlers fans in the crowd. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did not remember much of the plot and did refresh my brain via reading the Wikipedia plot summary. I think you could totally read this fic without knowing like the plot, but I also do think at least reading the wiki plot summary like will enrich your experience with it. This was so good, though. It does so much, and it was unexpectedly really funny. There's one scene in particular that I want to talk about because... Not only did the writing crack me up, but it was just one of those things that's like a little bit like too real world almost in like a really hysterical way. Um, so I don't know. Mad respect to Coyote Suspect. I really had fun with this and he really cracked me up. I really enjoyed the character of Destiny here. I didn't remember her being like that memorable to me in the movie. Sorry, but again, like I don't really remember much about the movie. I remember She's like JLo wore girl. a fur coat. So like... I know, but she's like... The, she's our POV queen. Well, that, that's not... Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. No, you're right that J-Lo stole the show. Um, J-Lo stole the show, like, and she was meant to, right? Like, yeah. it's all about Destiny getting wrapped up with Ramona. So obviously Ramona slash J-Lo has to be a super charismatic character, and she was, and she wore a fur coat at least at one point, and she looked really sexy, and, like, that's what I remember. Amen. And I also remember laughing about Lily Reinhardt, um, not in a mean way, just in a sort of what-are-you-doing-here-girl way. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was my experience with the movie Hustlers. Um so I really like the like dimension that this brought to Destiny that like I didn't remember, but probably existed in the movie. But again, it's been a number of years now. Something that I was literally just thinking about as we were sort of doing the other two discussions on air tonight, and sort of just thinking about the concept of like what work is being done around the concept of an ending in these fics. Like this fic definitely has an open and ambiguous ending, um, but it also does some interesting work in that it created that out of a canon that like had a pretty closed ending in a lot of ways um and it kind of makes you think about like does anything really have a closed ending if you just write more <laughs> um, which is not at all to like diminish the work that this fic is doing like that's not what i mean i just think it's interesting because sort of what we were talking about at the beginning of like i really like a plot heavy thing i like something that like wraps up a question or a mystery and like and this is a crime story it sort of wraps up this like investigation and this like article into what they're doing and how they got caught and like all of this action 
and you leave feeling like, okay, that was kind of the end of the story. Um, and so to sort of open it back up and then also leave it very ambiguous, I think it's very, is like much more true to the human experience than what we get in a lot of like, especially in movies that are really contained to like two to three hours worth of narrative media. But yeah, I just thought in the larger, larger picture of sort of like what these fics are doing in terms of like, sort of playing with the concept of like an ending in media um i also just thought that was like an interesting choice for this fic and sort of an interesting layer to bring into the conversation tonight today whenever you're listening to it (laughs) it's tonight for me in this (laughs) This present moment but i exist at a different temporal moment in your ears later so yes i also enjoyed (laughs) this fic Very similar to Brenna, I saw this movie and more or less the only thing I retained about it was that it had J-Lo in it and it was about stripping and conning men. It's funny, Bren, that you keep mentioning the fur coat that J-Lo was wearing because there's a line in this fic about an outfit Ramona is wearing that is um, tight, light wash jeans and Uggs and a pale pink zip-up hoodie over a white camisole, silver hoops Destiny could wear as bangles. And I was like, yes, the image of this is so right? specific and it was so vivid in my head it's such a moment in time anyway this is to say that i also had to go to wikipedia to refresh myself on the plot but frankly this fix slaps and it would have slapped even if i had not reacquainted myself with the canon i think it just was doing a lot of really interesting things and having a lot of interesting conversations and it feels notable to me that it came out of Yuletide because we've said on the pod very recently, I don't remember if it was this episode or last, but um, that fandoms that maybe have less of a canon or just like are less popular, like less of this um, bulk of work for people to base their feelings off of, it allows authors to sort of play in a space in which they can do things that are kind of interesting and different and maybe not the norm of what you're seeing with a lot of fan fiction. And I feel like this fic is really representative of that in a lot of ways. Uh, and it was executed phenomenally. I was really worried I had imagined JLo's fur coat after no. talking about it so much, but I did <laughs> really, Google yeah. JLo Hustlers, and like the first yeah. image is yeah. the fur coat. And it's, it's big, and it's furry, and it's puffy, and it's iconic. So glad my memory does still work. This fic is interesting in the sense that it really concerns itself with hmm, the intersection between the court of public opinion a real person just trying to live her life and tell her story and the kind of justice-oriented, hypercritical sector of humans who have feelings about the way that people share their own lived experience. Did that make sense? Sort of. I'll be more specific. (laughs) So after the article comes out, Destiny is like, huh, this is so funny. Elizabeth is making so much money and I'm not making dirt off of this article that is my story and is my life. She ends up getting invited to a speaking engagement. This is the part of the fic that Brenna was saying was very funny. I think like it's an interesting combination of, yes, extremely funny and like very biting. I think it's really interesting commentary. And also it was really a tough read in a good way where Destiny is feeling so many feelings and you're in there with her because she she gets off to a tough start. Um, Okay, so she's on a panel with two other women, and it is a panel about uh, destigmatizing sex work, basically. So she's on a panel with, quote, Kincaid, an activist sex blogger and former cam girl. And then uh, the other character who is on here is a, quote, current sex worker and an organizer with an organization Destiny's never heard of working to decriminalize prostitution in New York City. Both of them introduce themselves with their pronouns. 
and Destiny introduces herself. And when they ask what her pronouns are towards the end of her introduction, she goes, oh, um, I'm a girl. I'm a woman. And there's this beat of pure silence. This panel's being held at a pretty small... Is it at Vassar, specifically? It's like a small liberal yeah, arts college. Yeah, it's at Vassar. Yeah, it's at Vassar. Great. There's just this brutal little pause. And in that moment, I am feeling so many things for Destiny. <laughs> because it is. It's kind of a nightmare, right? It's like you're presenting, but you don't have the script in front of you. So she thought she was showing up just to tell her story. And it turns out that it's this really intense academic conversation. And she keeps failing the tests over and over throughout the course of this entire panel. It's funny in the sense that it is satirical in a lot of ways. And it's also tough. Like destiny girl. A lot of the rest of this fake concerns itself with her and Ramona basically deciding, well, let's read a bunch of feminist and intersectional theories, start our Twitter accounts and see if people will send us money. Because these girls cannot stop hustling, baby. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Um, it's a it's a tough spot for them to be in. But I just really appreciate how complicated the commentary is in this fic. At no point is Coyote suspect. Like, and this is what's good. It's just a lot of pointing at the ways that things that we think are unequivocally good are not always supporting the people that they're supposed to support. I don't know. A lot of people are missing class politics, I think, in their <laughs> in their politic in general. <laughs> and I appreciate that this fic seems to actually bring that out, point it out, bring it to the light. Um, and this felt like such a smart movie to do that in concert with. Yeah, that initial uh, scene where Destiny is invited to the panel of Vassar. And this is also sort of her first real like public appearance of this sort she goes on to do a lot more especially after she and Ramona sort of discover that maybe this is another arena that they can sort of like set up a grift in almost um it made me scream for like so many different reasons first off just multiple of us on this podcast um went to small private liberal arts schools and (laughs) well Two out of three of us went to small private liberal arts schools um, that I could just so perfectly imagine this vibe. Watching both of you Um, nod is so funny. It's like I'm emphatically nodding. It's it's like painfully real. Um, I was just like viscerally transported back to the main auditorium on my college campus. Um, It probably would have been like my fucking department putting on this programming. And like, I just was like losing my gourd. Um, This character of Kincaid especially felt so painfully realistic and like, Coyote suspect, I I feel like I know you in another <laughs> life. <laughs> I feel like we've been in this audience together. Um, but it was just like, I was really having a moment of reflection because Kincaid is sort of depicted as this like very like quote unquote like woke academic tweeting lots of shit that gets like tons of like retweets, but also probably like starts discourse and like gets invited to a lot of events like this and does probably some genuinely good activism, but also sort of says some like nonsense shit as well. And like definitely does not incorporate intersectionality into her politic as much as like she probably thinks that she does. And I was just like losing my mind because I was like, if I had seen this on Tumblr in like 2011, when I was like in the middle of high school, I would have been like, oh my God, like go off girl. We didn't say that shit, but like, you know what I mean? Um, And then if I'd seen this in like 2016 in college, I would have been like, oh, cringe. (laughs) And now I feel like I can look at it with sort of a more balanced approach than either of those Brennas did. 
But the conversation between her and Destiny and this other person, Marisha, but I feel like the, the tension in this really exists between Kincaid and Destiny because they're just coming at it from like really different points of view. Um, the tension is like so rich and like kind of agonizing, but also so perfectly done. I just want to read a little bit of this. Um, it starts off with Kincaid. Which is why we have to be conscious about how our stories are portrayed in the media, says Kincaid, like the question was directed at her. It's important that we empower ourselves to claim our own narratives. As sex workers, and then it cuts off. Why do we keep saying sex workers, says Destiny loudly, talking over Kincaid. What does that even mean? Why aren't we specific? I just stripped. I never had sex with anyone. I wasn't a hooker. I never did that. And like, woof, rough Destiny. But also like she is making a point as well. Like, we were talking about this in pre-discussion, but there is this trend towards creating these sort of like these large categorizing terms like sex work or sex workers, which are very helpful in some instances, but like specificity is also good and helpful in, in some instances. And like, I think this panel probably would have really benefited from like the specificity of like the different lived experiences of Destiny, Marisha, and Kincaid. And yet it's like Kincaid is unwilling to like examine that because it probably would have like made it more complex and like not so easy to just be like a pro sex work activist in that moment because destiny is presenting herself as someone who like did this because she had to where Kincaid is presenting it very much as like a choice that she owned to like do these things and like to have the like self-empowerment in her body because of that um which are very much the two sort of opposite ends of like discourse about sex work often um but like, I don't know, I just really appreciated how this fix sort of like showed us this perfect little window into like why we need nuance and specificity, even though this is like fan fiction about the movie Hustlers. But it actually has like some of the better commentary around like the discussion around sex works that I've like read in a while. Um, so yeah, I was just having a fucking time in like so many different ways. Really quick on that note, um, if you're listening to this and you, A, like want to read the fic, please do do that. Hell yeah. But you also want to get more into some of these discussions. I literally just finished like yesterday the book Bodywork, The Radical Power of Personal Narrative by Melissa Fabos, maybe, or Fibos. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. F-E-B-O-S. And it is specifically about memoir writing, writing about sex and sexuality. The author wrote her memoir about being a professional dominatrix years prior. And it has so much to say about this really complicated relationship between like feminist empowerment and um, doing something because you feel like you have to versus you feel like it's empowering versus you have to make money versus like how does the actual structure of like dominatrix work specifically, how does that empower and disempower women? Like there's a lot of really great stuff in there. And I'm thinking about that a lot as we're having this discussion too. So free book recommendation from host Nick. Yeah, this fic and our pre-discussion was making me think about um, a TikTok that I saw not that long ago about a girl who was talking about leaving the OnlyFans scene. I think in this way where the fic is like, oh, people only want to talk about sex work if it's empowering. This girl was saying that people were, are framing OnlyFans as like, it's this accessible way to get into sex work. Um, and it is so empowering and you can do things on your own terms and you can do X, Y, Z. And she was saying that it feels like it's being marketed towards 
younger women or like people who are inexperienced who are like, here's a quote unquote easy way for you to get into this industry and make a lot of money. And again, you were doing it all on your own terms. And she was like, this was incredibly damaging for my mental health and for a number of reasons, but she was talking about things she felt pressured to do, even though as far as I'm aware, she only did like solo work and the ways that she was talked to and treated and sort of all of these ramifications that came as a result of getting into that industry and providing more nuance to a conversation that, yeah, I agree. I think you do largely see people saying like, oh, this is great. And it can be great. I have a friend who was on OnlyFans for a bit who stopped and is now thinking about getting back into it just because they want to. I mean, partly it is financial, but partly because they were like, it let me explore some things that I didn't really have an avenue to otherwise in my life. And I kind of want to go back to that. And there is like all of this complicated stuff that happens in the middle. Like there isn't just sort of a black and white narrative about it. And I agree with what both my co-hosts were saying that I think this fic is having such a nuanced conversation about it or bringing up all of these thoughts in a way that I would not have expected from fan fiction in general, but especially, I mean, I guess like it makes sense because it's fan fiction about a movie in which stripping is the central premise, but I had not thought about Hustlers probably since I walked out of the movie theater. (laughs) And so certainly if I was thinking about places on the internet to go for nuanced and engaged conversation about sex work and sort of many things adjacent to it and intersectionality. I would not have thought to turn to fan fiction in this regard, but here we are. And it was great. In a way though, it fits so well with this movie. Like not only is this fic great, but from what I remember of the movie itself, like it is such a like a rich text to explore these questions of like what actually is empowering? Where do you actually have agency? Like, where do you actually find power? And like, how complicated these structures of power can be? And that it's not as simple as just being like, go girls, like scam those men, even though it's kind of fun to watch men get scammed. It's like so much more complicated than that. And I think it honestly is such a great jumping off point for this whole conversation this fic is having. So over the course of the story, Destiny is reading a bunch of theory and posting on social media and doing more speaking engagements. And she goes to an engagement toward the end of the fic where someone stands up in the audience and asks her if she's ashamed of herself and specifically about the people that she hurt that were not just directly the men involved, right? Their families. Some of these men have children. Like if they're in financial ruin, what's happening with all of that? Like, don't you feel guilty? How dare you? go around and make money off this story as if it's something empowering like destiny cannot win here she absolutely cannot and i think that double bind that she's in was really interesting and she thinks about in the story in her narration and the author writes about this idea of being a public woman on trial and how it's not just you are or are not guilty of the thing you did it's like how should we receive you in the future Because with this big article that came out, there's no way she's not going to be a public figure. I mean, we're even seeing, like, this is a whole kind of separate tangent. Reed brought it up in pre-discussion, but, like, TikTok teens trying to make a gypsy rose into an influencer. Like, there's a lot. If you're famous for something and people find it interesting, they are going to try to make a celebrity out of you. Destiny's trying to take advantage of it to some degree. It's not, like, working amazingly, but she's trying. Um, But the court of public opinion is nasty and there's not a way to please everybody. And one of the lines that really struck me from this story, I'm going to read out. It reads, the more she gave of herself, the more she revealed, the softer the audience would be. Most people don't really want to crush you. They just want to know that they could. People don't like women who do bad things unless they were traumatized first. They don't understand it. A woman's got to be a victim to be a villain. 
You either get punished before or you get punished after. And people like to know a woman's gotten her lumps in early. And it's so good. I mean, first, it's just really, really brilliant prose. There's a real facility to the writing throughout this entire story. It doesn't feel overwrought at any point. Um, But also just thematically, it's so smart. Because you do wonder, like, yeah, what the hell do you do with your life after something like this? After an article like this? After going to these public appearances? After people having all these opinions on you and you feel like you can't win? What do you do? Um, Destiny's answer is to just keep going, (laughs) basically. Uh, Make things work however she can. Make money however she can. But it's a really astute observation here that she's also thinking about ways that she can not weaponize necessarily, but at least leverage the things that she's been through to get a lighter sentence, not literally, but on that metaphorical level. And speaking to the fact that this is an open, ambiguous ending fic, I think one of the things that makes the ending most open is the fact that the fic ends with Destiny deciding to write a book. She teams back up with the reporter and is like, hey, if I wanted to write a book about my story, how would I do that? And the reason it feels so open and ambiguous to me is because we don't know that this is a good decision. We don't know that this is going to help anything. We don't know that it's going to make things better. We don't know that Destiny is going to feel like she got it all out in the right way or that people are going to receive it in a way that they can understand. We don't know that this isn't going to decrease her quality of life as more and more people are reading these things. It'll make her some money in the short term. And I feel like that's what a lot of Hustlers the movie is about, too, of how do you get by day to day to day to day because you don't really have the luxury of looking at the long term. Destiny does and doesn't have the luxury of the long term in this weird space after the end of the movie. But at this point, it's almost like it doesn't matter. You get the sense that she's just trapped in this cycle of I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to use whatever opportunities I have and just keep pushing. And so to me, there is that ambiguity of, is she ever going to be able to get out of this particular cycle? I don't know. Does she want to? Is the other side better? None of those questions have answers. And I think that's part of what makes this fix so smart. Very briefly, the other aspect too is in Destiny's personal relationships, because she is dating a guy named Mason, who kind of unequivocally sucks. We don't like him, but he is giving her a stability that she hasn't really had in her life previous to this. And reconnecting with Ramona has brought a lot of, I don't want to say instability, but just sort of like whirlwind impulse back into Destiny's life. And in some ways, it's nice to see them connect again. And when they hook up, like that feels satisfying, even though it is infidelity, because you're like, we don't like Mason. But part of the open ending, too, is that I think maybe in a different fic, you might think, oh, Destiny's going to write this book and it'll go fine. And she and Ramona will get together and that'll be great. And she'll ditch this garbage man. Like, no, you don't know how things are going to play out, but there's a very real possibility that Destiny does just stay with Mason because of the life that she is getting to live by being with him. And that letting Ramona back into her life in this way is kind of going to blow up in her face again. There's so many questions in a lot of different directions about what the future is going to look like for Destiny, which I think also very much leans into that open, ambiguous ending in a way that I think Nick's fic the most out of the three of us is the most open. Like, I think in Brenna's fic, you can kind of imagine maybe how things are going to go for Shane and Ryan and what things are going to be like for Watcher, even if you didn't already know how things happened, like, in real life. But in Nick's fic, it's like, I do not know in the slightest. There's definitely not a guarantee of any semblance of a happy ending here. But I think it was executed really well. Well, the thing about it, too, is that Ramona is bad news. And we knew that from the movie, too. But she's also pure charisma. And her relationship with Destiny is so tender 
that like you weirdly can't help but root for them anyway. Because she's J-Lo and she has a big fluffy coat. So that's exactly why. I was thinking that as I was reading. she wears a skimpy little bodysuit. Yeah, she had a smaller coat. Maybe I wouldn't feel this way about her character. I wouldn't have felt that way if she had a smaller coat. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a very compelling take on what was already an incredibly compelling dynamic, I think, from the original movie. No surprises that this is the pairing that came out of that. Overall, the story to me felt like such a hidden gem. I was so excited to get to read it and talk about it with my co-hosts. I hope to talk about it with you, Ficklets. Please share your thoughts and opinions with me because I want to know them. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ficklick. If you would like to celebrate Nick's birthday, the best way that you can do that is connecting with us in the various places that we exist on the internet twitter technically at fitclick also via email fitclickpod at gmail.com i am gonna give a personal shout out to stifled laughter who sends an email after every episode that the three of us just simply delight in and we've gotten better at responding to emails because we are getting them more Legends. frequently so now we can say with confidence we're being that, trained um, to respond <laughs> more quickly <laughs> so if you do email us we will get back to you um and we always appreciate that We also have our Discord server, so if you listen to Nick's Please and you do want to engage in conversation with Nick about the Hustlers fic, a pretty good place to do that would be our Discord, which is linked in our Twitter. I also watched a really good Hustlers fan vid when I was looking for fic, so I'll link that in the Discord as well. Amazing. If you're like, what better birthday gift is there than money? Um, You'd be so right, and you can (laughs) give us that. um via our ko-fi if you feel so moved to do so for next birthday or belatedly for my my birthday or just like really early for reed's birthday (laughs) um (laughs) you can also leave us a review that's also a great birthday gift um and really helps promote our little pod our next episode will come out on february 9th and we are going to be talking all things romance tropes very exciting reed what is your fic for next episode My fic for next episode is All to Play For by Linearity. If you're like, wow, that author sounds familiar. It is because this is the third fic in a series, and we did the second fic in the series a couple episodes ago for the host rec exchange. In this, the, what is this, the fifth year of our podcasting, I'm giving you all homework um, for realsies. I know we often are like, go pause the episode and, l- and listen to this or read this, but like, I really would recommend You're at so least close listening. to the end, but you have to stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, not right now. Just like before oh, okay. the ninth, I would recommend maybe listening to our discussion of Leave No Space by Linearity, which we talked about in episode 83, The Poorest Little Meow Meow on the Grid, because we're back with our poor little meow meow, Charles Leclerc. This is a Formula One fic. The pairing is Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, and the romance tag for this one is Breakup Makeup. Brenna, what fic are you bringing? My pick for this episode is Victory Lane by Astolat. This is different than Victory Condition by Astolat, which we did discuss previously. This is a fic for Fast and Furious with a Soul Bond twist. Nick, what are you bringing? My fic for next episode is Millstone Director's Cut by AO3 user Joe Locke. And it is for Rooster Teeth slash Achievement Hunter RPF. It has been edited to take out that guy. Uh, the pairing is Gavin Free slash Michael Jones. And it is a bodyguard AU. Well, this is where we're ending the episode. Or is it? Bye! Bye. <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs>